Hello, and welcome to Plattress. This is Lane. This is Meg. And today we'll be reviewing Angel in a Devil's Arms by Julianne Long. And this was published in 2019 and is the second in the Palace of Rogue series. And today we are joined by a special guest, Shawnee from Romance at a Glance. Hello, hello. I'm happy to be here, ladies. We about to we about to talk some dirty stuff today. I'm excited. excited. <laughs> it's a very exciting book, I know. And I think we've been participating in a little bit of a read-along with this series. We have. So for any everyone who's in the read-along, exciting for this month, we're releasing a little bit early. So should be fun. Awesome. So uh, before we dive into the discussion, as usual, kick it off with the book jacket. He has devil's blood in his veins. At least that's always been the legend. How else could the Duke of Brexford's notorious bastard son return from the dead? The brutal decade since Lucien Durand, Lord Bolt, allegedly drowned in the Thames, forged him into a man who always gets what and who he wants. And what he wants is vengeance for his stolen birthright. And one night in Angelique Breedlove's bed. I know, right? <laughs> About to get it. <laughs> Angelique recognizes heartbreak when the enigmatic Lord Bolt walks into the Grand Palace on the Thames, and not even his devastating charm can tempt her to risk her own ever again. One scorching kiss drives home the danger. The danger. But in the space <laughs> between them springs a trust that feels anything but safe, and the passion, explosive, consuming, drives Lucien to his knees. Now his whole life depends on proving his love to a woman who doesn't believe in it because his true birthright, he now knows, is guardian of Angelique Breedlove's heart. <laughs> that is some sappy shit. That like totally went in, in a direction I was not expecting. I'm going to be completely honest. Like, what? <laughs> that also... <laughs> One of the things I liked about this book is that the two characters were like emotionally healthy and intelligent. And I feel like framing his reason <coughs> for being as her does them both a disservice. Yes. That also reminds me of The Bachelorette. So <laughs> it was Allie's season and this dude got a tattoo that said, I'm going to guard and protect your heart. No. Uh-huh. No, Meg. No. <laughs> Wait, for her? Her? uh-huh no <laughs> yeah i just what? i just verified that that actually happened it happened oh okay okay so anyway that last i have a lot was... of questions mm -hmm. meg and i as usual generated a random number between one and 50 and wrote our own summaries and this week that random number is 38 meg you want to kick us off sure Angelique and Lucien reacted the same way to their difficult young adulthoods. Outward shells of cutting irony and utter cynicism protect ooey-gooey lovey-dovey hearts. So you know what it means when they play-act pirate fights together. That play-acted pirate fight was a really interesting <laughs> moment in the text. It was like the <laughs> highlight of the book for me, basically. I loved it. I loved everything um, about it. I loved everything until he was worried she was actually dead. Well, he just, he was just really worried about her, Lane. He was really caught up in it. 
I, I mean, I'm with you, Lane, in the fact that, like, I was like, wow, you're really taking this really seriously. Like, you would know if you really hit her or, or if you, like, you know. Uh, and then she was like, no, I'm play acting. And he was just like, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> I'm, I'm leaving. Here. This is my dramatic <laughs> exit. I was like, it's a little much, bro. He's, oh look, God. he is extremely dramatic. And I kind of love that. He's like so extra, Lucian. He is the most extra. I actually, one of the things I really want to praise as we talk about this is how distinct the characters were from the first book. Like mm-hmm. Lucian is not Captain Hardy and Angelique is not Delilah. Nope. All right. So my 38 word summary. Viscount left for dead creates a shipping empire that leads him right back to England. He keeps getting distracted from his revenge by a sexy widow and increasing revelations that people are complicated. The best grand gestures ever. Yeah. Julianne Long is doing such a good job with this series with her grand gestures. Like I'm very impressed. Is that the whole theme of the, like, the the series it's, is grand gestures or just, like, something that happens in every book? It, so, well, so far, far, I mean, there have only been two, um, but in the first book, so spoiler for the first book, everyone, if you haven't read it yet, in the end, so they start this boarding house and it's not very popular. No one's going to it. Well, because it was a former brothel and it's in the middle of the slummy docks and there's a homeless guy who sleeps on the steps. And pees oh, on solid. it. Solid. <laughs> solid. Yeah. And not only that, in the first book, these people were spreading rumors that it was like a horrible place to go and you shouldn't go there. So anyway, she talks about how her, her biggest dream is that the king would come and basically recommend the place to other people. And Captain Hardy makes it happen. So he does this thing for the king and the king's like, what, what can I grant you? And he's like, actually, there is something you can do for me. <laughs> so it was great. So that's, so, and then, I mean, I, I didn't read book one, but I just did like a little yeah. glance over. So uh, that's Delilah's partner. and mm-hmm. But but she, he used to be involved with Angelique. So Delilah's dead husband, dead husband, used to oh, be involved with Angelique. Husband. Yeah. So her current Got husband it. never was. Got it. Well, I like that a lot, though. I like the sisterhood in that. Yeah. Like- <laughs> absolutely. I, I was like, how very adult say- of us. We're very adults here. I love that. Well, it's really great too because Meg and I talk about this in our review of the first book. They get along and they're immediately supportive of each other, but it's not, they're not the same people and the book doesn't try to make it seem like best friendship means you get along and make every choice the same. Yeah. I feel like this book, if I had one complaint, and I really don't, um, Delilah and Angelique's relationship is a little bit more backburnered. Which makes sense. This is the second book in a series. You don't have the meet cute between them going on. But I really liked their relationship and could have done with more scenes between the two of them because it felt like the only scenes between the two of them in this book were like emotionally overwrought when Angelique needed her. And that's great. And friends are good for that. But I, I could have done with a few more funny moments. Yeah, I agree because I didn't get the feeling like that overwhelming feeling of sisterhood, like of what they should have been to each other based on Mm -hmm. what I, that synopsis I had read from the first book. And I was like, oh wait, this is the connection they have. I didn't get, I didn't really feel that in the second book. (laughs) And it would have been cool too, but I'm assuming they they think you're going to read all the books. So, you know, and you know, generally I think they do. This is a fight Meg and I have. Meg does not believe in reading all the books. I must read all the books. So, like, Bridget, if she reads the first one, she will read the entire series. 
if I read the first one and you and it is not good, I will not go on to the to like the other books. Yeah. It's just I just feel like especially like we just read like a, a, a trilogy mm-hmm. and there's no sex in the first book. And like, I don't believe in closed door romance. If there's mm-hmm. no sex, I'm not picking it up. So the first book didn't have sex. Bridget's like the second one does. I'm like, I don't care. I don't care. You should have gave me a taste of it in book one. Like that's all I'm saying. I'm a grown ass woman. I'm, I'm not. I'm not trying to read a religious romance. You yeah. know what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm glad that anything that's closed door in your mind is immediately a religious romance. I love that. So, so what are the what are the tropes in this book? So we wrote down. Uh, Lane's better at this than I am. So I kind of write down what I think they are. But if you don't agree, or if you think of others, Shani, let us know. All right. Um, but. I don't know. I was like, this is this is the rogue who is coming back for revenge and he's going to reestablish his reputation. So I think you're right. And I think that's the core trope, but I kind of rephrase it as back from the dead. Yeah. Like how many romance novel tropes are this heir or this aristocrat usually right at the time that his title is potentially in court to be like given to a new heir comes back and has to like reclaim his title. So I, I agree with you, Meg, that this is more the like about him reestablishing than like a specific obsession with the peerage. But I think that back from the dead bit is like very, very present in the no, show. No, you're right. You're right. It is yeah. back from the dead. She always gets me. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I, I very much agree um, that I was like, as soon as I saw, I, I didn't read the synopsis ahead of time. I've been trying not to read, like, so I'm so surprised by by books. Um, and I was like, oh, he's back from the dead. He's about to get revenge because that's when I'm trying to come back from the dead. <laughs> like, that's that's right. That's You only come back from the dead to get revenge. Like, that's just. <laughs> no other reason. Or no. you don't know if you're the heir or not because you have amnesia and someone told you you are. <laughs> Could be amnesia. Or like you were given away as a baby and grew up a poor orphan and weren't sure. Yeah, but, then you, family. but then you are not coming back from the dead. That's true. You know, so that one about, the one about being a baby given away at birth, I always have a hard time with that, with that one. Because there's only one way ever to know that a person came from that lineage and it's a birthmark. Because there's oh. no DNA. Right. Oh, that's, oh, I'm thinking of the one we just read that it was a birthmark, but it wasn't a birthmark. It was a signet ring burn. God, yes. And mm-hmm. what I'm thinking is like, they thought the baby died. Yeah. So he wasn't coming back from the dead, but they thought that person was dead. Yeah. Ah, okay. So that's a little, a little bit of a twist there, but that's, but still, that's the only way to know because there's no DNA test. There's no Mori yep. court. Like, <laughs> Well, even in this one, right? Like one of the tropes you have going on is he looks so much like his father that even mm-hmm. though there's a bastard, there's no denying his lineage. But oh wait, except his eyeballs, which are his mom's. Yeah, they always. And he and so his brother trope. both look exactly the same, but they have their mother's eyes. Different eyes. Trope. He shows up in the house, and all the portraits look like him. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I call this the Harry Potter trope. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one. I did like how his brother was like eager to meet him in the story though. Like um, I thought that, I don't know, his character didn't have like the hugest amount of depth for me. So 
the addition of his brother kind of gave him a little bit like kind of bumped that up a little bit so you could see like yeah. it was kind of familial interaction and him like trying to look out for his brother and it's kind of fucked up because he says one thing in there and i felt like it triggered me <laughs> but i understand it which is like he basically tells his brother not to glamorize him mm-hmm. um so that so that his brother will have a better life like he's like if you start doing the things i'm doing life is going to be harder for you even though you'll be living freer to yourself Oops. sorry <laughs> uh even though you'll be living freer to yourself so uh so conform is basically what he told him and there's like there's like such a truth in that but also such a like a fuckery in that <laughs> that's that's like in that what what's that contemporary we just read uh, where they did that a prince on paper they had that trope so good it's really good Prince on paper mm-hmm. by Alyssa Cole. Um, so both of them are characters with shitty home lives growing up. She's a sad, tragic orphan, yeah. not literally orphanage, but both her parents are dead and she fell on hard times because of it. And he lost his mother in a traumatic way. Yes. And also his father in a traumatic way. His father's not dead, but he's lost to him. Yeah. Yeah. Traumatically. Not dead. It would have been, uh, been better if his dad died. Actually. I was like, unfortunately not dead. Yeah. So question, this might, Meg, did you follow why he was a Viscount? Yes, because his father was best friends with Prinny. Yeah. And got him to give him a title that belonged to the crown. That's what I read, but yeah. I was trying to figure out why there was a threat of him inheriting. I was like, and I thought his title from his brother, like why his stepmother would... His stepmother's, I, no, his no, stepmother. I don't think that's why his, his stepmother, he was running around town being a little hoe and, and gambling and, and ruining the name. And the stepmother didn't want him to ruin the name for her son. Yep. So that's, was, that's why she was like, I, I, I was like, I thought down. I read that his title was bestowed, that he wasn't a legitimized bastard who could inherit. But then when the brother had a courtesy title too, I got confused. Yep. Nope. That's it. Cool. Thank you for clarifying. Is correct. <laughs> yeah, it uh, is actually weird because I, I don't remember in books that are similar to this, like someone having a, a title that's bestowed upon them as a, as a bastard or whatever. There's yeah. always some other way that they're threatening the family somehow. The only times I can think of where I've seen titles bestowed have been when that happens in the book. I can think of a couple of yeah. books with military heroes who like in the epilogue get a barony or whatever yes i've seen that and then i there's another one i it's an elizabeth hoyt so you're not going to want to read it lane but it's um he got the title because he's the king's bastard oh right oh, okay um, yeah so but then there's say, it's roy shout out to military heroes those brooding military heroes mm-hmm. in, in historicals please I mean, tell me you have read all of the spindle cove series no i don't think i have yeah, I would just if that's your thing, I just add all those right now. Let me just let me just hit this post-it note real quick. <laughs> yeah. um, so oh, there's yes. a lot of gambling themes in this book, which I know are really ubiquitous. He's debating opening a gambling hell. He supported himself and made his money through school as a gambler. The first thing he does upon his return to England is go write something in the betting book at White's. Like this is a very gambling-centric thing, but I'm gonna talk about this now because there's not a better time. I loved the depiction of knitting. <laughs> I was wondering, I was going to ask you if you thought it was um, accurate. I mean, they didn't really go in depth enough to talk about it being accurate or inaccurate, 
But like the mention of her tension had changed because she was knitting super tightly because she was stressed out. And the way yarn like gets tangled, but you can still knit from it because often they make it sound like you can't in times knitting is depicted. So the little bit that was there, I liked a lot. And I am in a knitting club. And last Tuesday we were knitting in the bar we knit in. And this guy came up to us and started talking about how we weren't all old ladies and knitting, basically calling knitting a stupid hobby. And I was just really excited to see these like two young, hot women knitting in a book. That's right. So props to that. Knitting is hot. He's a gambler, she's a knitter. First of all, first of all, it's always funny when people come up to you and add add an opinion you you never asked for. Mm -hmm. But second of all, if this were that, that show I told you about, that reality show alone, and you knew how to knit, let me tell you, you'd be closer to that $500,000 reward because you'd be able to make a net. You'd be able to do a, weave your own baskets and shit. You'd be able to do so much. And I see grown men on that show knitting, weaving. <laughs> there you go. Right, so, so that's my one survivor's skills. <laughs> your one skill. So you'll be able to catch fish, girl. Yeah, I'm allergic to fish, so I couldn't eat them. <laughs> <laughs> Um, one of my least favorite tropes that I loved here, she sees him with another woman and that's what forces her to confront the depth of her feelings. And I usually really hate jealousy tropes, but I thought it worked really well here. Mm-hmm. It did. It was really good, especially because, well, anyway, it was really good. I thought. And, well, and because they she didn't like lash out at the other woman. It wasn't like about proving herself. It was just like, wow, well, I feel really uncomfortable. It was, it was more like, oh shit shit, I actually like this guy. Yeah. Um, also, trope, their first sexual encounter is due to him being real sad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, men don't cry, they fuck. I mean, I ain't mad at it. Shit. Um, <laughs> I, I, I do think that the book was incredibly mature, which I enjoyed for, for the most part. There was one there was one moment that like I was just like, yo, my dude, get it together. Like when when uh, she basically sets down her boundary, which is like he's like, I want to be with you. And she's like, yeah, a lot of guys want to be with you, but they don't want to really be about that life the way that I would need them to be about that life. And he's like, no, no, no. And she's like, nah. And then he pulls like kind of bitch baby cry off that I was just like, like, come on, my dude, like calm, calm down. It's a little, it's a little much. That was the time. That was the one moment where I was like, that does not feel like a very mature response. To yeah. I thought it was interesting that there was no conversation of commitment or what they were to each other until he proposed. Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert, they end up together. Um, <laughs> No, that was yeah. an interesting choice because you're right. The relationship did feel very emotionally mature, but it did lack those conversations about what are we doing that often create so much manufactured drama. Yeah. Yeah. But like Loki in real life, I mean, so many people I know do not ever ask the person they're dating, like, what are we doing or what okay. stage are we at? There's like so many times my my a friend will say like, oh, he was dating somebody else. And he's like, yeah, we're just in the dating phase. And, and she's like, no, we're girlfriend and boyfriend. I'm like, well, did you guys talk about that? Was that a conversation that was had? And they're like, well, no, but we went on X amount of dates. And I'm like, yo, if there was no meeting of the minds, I don't know what y'all was doing. <laughs> but like, so it's, it's, it's very real that they, that they don't have a conversation. If they don't. Yeah. Like, you know, I, mean, I, I think do. it's, yeah, I think it depends on the person. And I thought for these two characters, 
I don't I, I liked the way everything was handled. I'm not saying this as a criticism, but for a woman who was wronged previously by a man who she made an assumption about what their relationship was, and then as someone who has been left burned by men in society and who would be left so vulnerable if he didn't either have intentions to hide what they were doing very explicitly, like, hey, this can't get out. I'm a respectable proprietor. I'm taking a big risk by doing this. Or if he didn't have honorable intentions, like that's a huge liability for her. So I was like, yeah. I didn't dislike it. I like thought the way they were interacting was pretty impulsive and pretty authentic and like loved the way they got to know each other. I was just a little surprised that Angelique as the character we've come to adore from the first book wasn't a little bit more deliberate. About ensuring her reputation. I can see your point. Totally see your point in that. Um, Because even if, like, I just took it as she thought nothing was going to come of it other than we're going to bang. Like, we're going to bang, and that's going to be the end of whatever's going to happen. That's just kind of what I assumed. But her character does, it does make you feel like she would even had a conversation that said, hey, we're just going to bang, and that's it. So I can definitely see your point in her solidifying what, what this is one way or the other. Yeah. I mean, I think you guys have figured it out already, but um, I, I think we all really liked the book. I think it was just really good. I thought it built off the first one so well. I really like this series, but I think Angelique is a really unique heroine. Mm-hmm. And I do think Lucian was a unique hero, and I actually really enjoyed... I usually roll my eyes a little at, like, the self-made peer. Right. And the way that sort of the ego and arrogance of of those individuals isn't really explored and both because of the tragedy of his personal circumstances and his ability to self-reflect. I think he might be my favorite hero of that genre that I've ever read. Yeah, yeah, the he he I know you talked about this actually in the first book because you were like, look, Hardy is Hardy is that never says like oh maybe there are people who are in reduced circumstances who can have problems or whatever, um, and Lucian is like yeah that was me and now I'm I had to work my way up from <laughs> cabin boy or whatever pirate <laughs> prisoner pirate prisoner whatever it was <laughs> it was like the dread pirate Roberts <laughs> if only I well actually. Kind of. Kind of. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think we're all like, wait a minute. It's like, well, yeah. you know, so this book for me, I wouldn't call this book a really like for me. Um, I would call this book, uh, I call this book a potato chip book. Okay. Right. So it's basically like opening a bag of potato chips. You can go through 10 books all like as fast as possible. And it hits the things you need it to hit, but it's not special and it doesn't stand out for me. Like when books stand out, I'll remember the title of the book. But like, I won't remember the title of this book. This book was just like something to consume to, to fulfill a minute and then move on. Um, I, I I wasn't, I guess the nothing for me happened that was exciting. Um, and that me, made me feel like, you know, I don't know, like tingly with the characters. I did really enjoy the one thing I like hands down was like, oh my God, this author is amazing at writing like uh, dialogue and writing like nuance in character and building character and that sort of thing. I mean, phenomenal. She's phenomenal. I don't think I've read too many people who can do it like she does and really make you feel like that character's alive. Um, but like, 
but nothing really happened for me in this book. <laughs> no, and it's and, funny because I think I, I don't disagree with you, but I think that's what I liked. Like, I really picked this up and I was like, this is going to be another damn revenge book where it's cloak and dagger <laughs> and he's trying not to get stabbed and he's going to like exact his revenge at the worst moment and she's going to think the worst of him. And I was sort of like dreading that formula. And yeah. so the fact that it kind of ended up for what scandalous casts both main characters have, it was sort of a benign love story really worked for me. But I, I, nothing happened. I'll totally agree with you there. Like the most dramatic thing that happened was him like walking through whites as a changed man who everyone liked. It yeah. wasn't like. <laughs> I can just imagine like the, the music and like the movie music that, of him walking through of whites. Yeah. You know, and then and then like the revenge, her getting the music box for him back. You know, that was her like bucking up. Um, but yeah, those were like the most that happened. And I do agree with you because I definitely thought the book was going to take some weird revenge plot situation. Um, and I always talk about um, with Bridget on our podcast how some I want to see more of the nuance in a relationship. I want to see like. Like in general, like you'll hear about a girl's period generally in books. Maybe some books will have it, but like 90% of books never talk about the woman being on her period unless she's missing her period, right? Um, and I feel like there's, there's a fun bit of conversation that two people can have when they're discussing someone's period or like, you know, mundane tasks like doing laundry. I guess not in this, they don't do their own laundry maybe, but whatever you know, stuff like that. I want to hear more of those kind of scenes in books because those are what lets you believe that the characters have something in common and are connecting. Um, a lot of times I don't feel like the books have given me enough of the couple together for me to believe that they have something in common enough to sustain an HEA. And that's always my pet peeve. I'm like, they don't even know each other right now. They're only like basing their soul maintenance on fucking. That's literally it. And they're going to be divorced. <laughs> In about six I'm months. thinking of marrying Winterborn so yeah. <laughs> Uh-huh. You're like, what what do you have in common? What like what are you gonna do together? Well, if he breaks his penis, what's happening next? Like what's going on? You know, like so so you know, it's it's interesting. So this book does more of that, of like um their exchange and and finding where they connect. Yeah, um, I was gonna say I do feel like you really do feel like these are two characters who understand each other and who are really compatible with each other, and are intriguing and, are intriguing to each other. Yes, um, and he sees how he can fit into her life. I mean, that's the whole grand gesture, right? Is like I want to be in your life, right? Yeah, and I'm always a fan. You know, like if there's any any man out there who hears this of uh, gifts of property um that is my thing that's my love language um i really like real estate so i was for that ours is tiaras <laughs> yeah actually any all jewelry really yeah like tangible jewels yeah i i in my mind i'm like it reminds me so much of historical because that's the only thing you could pawn if you were leaving <laughs> that was the only money you had was that is jewel. correct we want we want portable cash houses yes. are great but they're not very liquid if i can't leave women couldn't legally have a credit card until the 70s in the united states like i'm sorry if i don't trust the banks <laughs> <laughs> isn't that how handmaid's tale starts out her credit card stops working in the book oh oh i don't remember i think i, I tried to forget a lot of that book i did not read i did not read handmaid's tale 
specifically and I did not watch the show specifically because I honestly thought it was be highly triggering for yeah. me. <laughs> I read the book a long time ago. Oof, so did I, I don't, I did not, I skipped the show for the same reason. I was like, yeah. too triggering, can't do this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, I'm in my healing process in my life and I'm really choosing what I want to let in my spirit. <laughs> um, question, is this, would this, they say that Mrs. Uh, Breedlove will, what was his Angelique? last name? We yeah, but what's her new last name? At the uh, so at the Durand. end they start Duran. Thank you. They start oh. talking about how the the property of the original establishment is in both of their names, and I understood that at that point neither of them had a living husband. She'd inherited it from uh, Delilah had inherited it in her husband's will. They were talking about how in acquiring new property they were still keeping it in their names. Could they legally have done that? Because after I, 1882 they could do that. So I don't think so. I just looked it up. Yeah, yeah I, I, that was my one like historical quibble. I was like, you're making a big deal out of how the property's in their name, but wasn't part of the whole first book about how she didn't want a husband because she didn't want to be beholden to anyone ever again and women mm -hmm. who were married had no legal rights? Anyway, just saying. Maybe that's I'm wrong in this book takes and happens in like 1883 or something. <laughs> no, it's like a, because the king is. Yeah, anyway. I feel like that's a, a rules of the world fuck up. You know what I mean? Like, there's those moments where you're like, ah, you didn't, you didn't like she obey said the it. rules of your world. <laughs> I, I was like, I'm going to appreciate the sentiment, but not the historical accuracy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But that's why I'm with you in like a modern day, real estate's a great gift. Back then, if a man gave a woman property and they were married, he was basically just giving it to himself. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm yeah. sorry. I want the diamond that is uh, on my finger and you can... Cut my hand off if you want it back. Cut <laughs> my hand off. Oh my God. I mean, you're not wrong. You're, Where you're is the wrong. lie? Cool, Where, hard, cash. A, ch a chest of jewels, mm -hmm. uh, you know, like. He is a pirate. I'm just saying, done. what pirate doesn't have a chest of jewels? <laughs> well, he said he was a silk importer, so. <laughs> okay, Whatever, silk, silk was also very highly tradable, so. You could give me a chest of silk. <laughs> that that would have been worth yeah, a lot. The problem is, if somebody was going to give you a gift, they'd probably give you a dress that only fit you. It's just less pawnable. <laughs> no, yeah. like bolts, because because they would just give bolts. You know, you sell bolts and bolts of silk. I'm like, did men just give women gifts of bolts of silk? <laughs> so so okay so uh, in a lot of cultures, um, you you create a dowry for your daughter or whatever, like your daughter-in-law or whoever's going to come into your family. So mother-in-laws, and they still do this now, like in the Nigerian culture, a lot of culture, Indian cultures do this. They create a trousseau um, for their daughter-in-laws. And so they'll just buy bolts and bolts of fabric of silk, high, like expensive ass fabrics and gift it to you on your wedding day so that you can create clothes from those. And that's a tradition that's been around for a very, very, very long time. Interesting. So, yeah. I'd only ever thought of a Trousseau's finished garments, but I'm also laughing at the concept of your gift to your daughter-in-law is basically a box full of homework. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's a, it's a box. It is. It's like a box full of you better look good. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I mean, I, I just, I really liked all the characters and the situations in this book. I think the only thing that I kind of got eye rolly at was the need to make the Duchess of Brexford a complex character. Yeah, see, I did not see it that way. I saw him like, okay, so you, sure, you want to make life easier for your son, but you don't kill someone. Like, 
Yeah, no, I, I don't think she was redeemed in any way or even that what Julianne Long was trying to make her redeemable. I just didn't even care about her backstory. <laughs> and you're like, don't even. Like, I don't care that you love your husband. I don't care that like, yeah, as a woman in society, you feel threatened by men in positions of power close to you. Like, who cares? <laughs> like, l- letting her even breathe on the page was ne- unnecessary to me. So what do you think of her having to go to Russia? Whatever. I was like, <laughs> I was like, dang, okay, that seems it actually seemed kind of harsh to me. <laughs> Even though I hated her. I was like, damn, Russia. Uh, I don't know. It's it's tricky because I gener I generally don't like one-dimensional villains. Um so I it's either kind of all or nothing. I either want her to be a figure in the back that we never address and never really see and never really get to in you know interact with. Or I get that backstory, but she's involved heavily in the story. Like if you're giving me backstory, give it to me for a reason. And it's because she's going to be a driver somewhere in this story. But I don't feel like she was enough of a a driver in this story for her to have too much. I think I agree with you. I either want her to be her, any villain. Yeah, any villain. To be either just a punchline and like exist as like scenery of a villain. And I love that too. We talk about this all the time with Bridgerton and Cressida. Or I want a complex villain. I like the middle ground is where I'm like, why? Like this was yeah. just unnecessary pages. Have them write her a letter. Get the music. <laughs> yeah. So what did you yeah. think about the conflict? There was a third act breakup, which we don't usually love. I don't like third act breakups. I don't but <laughs> I thought if you're gonna have one, and she, they, it has happened in the first and second book this wasn't too terrible. I mean, I generally don't like third act breakups. I, if it, it feels like there's things that authors can do in a book that make me feel like they think I'm stupid as a reader. And that's how I feel about third act breakups. Also, like when uh, a character leaves, they're like, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm no good for you. And they go off and they leave for a year or two years, or they leave for months or they leave for any reason. At the end of a book, I also greatly dislike it. It feels like contrived conflict so that you can wrap up whatever you need to wrap up. And it makes me feel like the author thinks I'm stupid. I I think the reason it worked for me here is, okay, I'm going to complain about the lack of sex after the right resolution and you know it. So like, I'm not saying I was totally okay with it, but (laughs) that is my go-to. Like you give me a late breakup, you better show me a late makeup. Um, In bed. Facts. Uh, the bed is optional. <laughs> yeah. Carriage is also yeah. acceptable. Walls, walls uh, are but <laughs> they they had a big fight. They've never really established what their relationship was. I think the reason for the fight was legitimate. And the next day, they were both working to fix themselves and what caused them to participate in the conflict in the way they did and make reparations to the other person. So I don't feel like there wasn't that third act pining, just being miserable, just wanting each other back. And I think that's what gets me really eye rolly. Like I did think what happened here was character development based. I could have done with a little more after the happily ever after that wasn't this way too long. The epilogue was really way too long. I actually, so when I read, I read on my Kindle and it tells me how many minutes I have left. I like the, the minutes. And I'm like, it was like the final chapter. And I was like, great, final chapter, six minutes. And then it goes to epilogue. And it was 20 minutes. And I was like, what the F is this epilogue? I was like, what the fuck is this? (laughs) 
It was way. It was I, I agree. Way too long and way too not about no, the main I, characters. Way too much of setting up yeah. the next book, and I was like, well, oh. that I I, I thought and I and his resolution with his brother. I thought that I was in in the other book, so I listen to everything um like uh, on Audible, and so the epilogue hit, and sometimes I'll space out and not and not know that a break happened and I'll rewind to go back to where I, I left off. Um, I rewound thinking that I had, like the author had put an excerpt of a new book at the end and then I didn't realize I was just still in the epilogue. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. So yes. Epilogue is really, like it's not, it's not bad and it's not badly written. It's just not an epilogue to this book. No, like with the, there was nothing from this book resolved. Like finding out that, their husbands and one of their guests had set up a business together. Mm-hmm. Like none of that was actually resolution to this book. That wasn't a conflict. I mean, the in only this book. thing that was any resolution that that was epilogue like was that he got the little angel and then he gave the angel to her. And it was like, okay, now we we truly have a found family. It's like the found <laughs> family trope being wound up. And even like shoe warning, if he was gonna find her family, that needed to be earlier. Like this whole epilogue, I really, really, really liked this book. This epilogue, I completely agree with Shawnee. It was the first two chapters mm-hmm. of the next book. Which could have been fine. Like, <laughs> Which, as the next two first two chapters of the next book, yeah, yeah totally it, okay. It be like, hey, sneak peek into, chat, into book three. Yes. Boom. <laughs> yes. Also, when you got, I mean, the Crystal Angel, did it not make you think of, like, the cheesiest things that you find at, like, the Hallmark store? Chachkis. <laughs> Yeah, I was with you. I thought of the cheesiest, uh, like, tchotchke type. <laughs> yeah, I did too. I just didn't need that sequence. The brother had never met Angelique, didn't know of Angelique. His desire to get to know Robert better, like, it just, it, it all fell out of place in this text. Yeah, I agree. All right, any content warnings, trigger warnings, anything offensive? I found nothing, but... I mean, Sometimes the, I overlooked it. the only thing that I, that I heard was that she had been like taken advantage of, of past guys. She does say that it's like part of her own stupidity and part of her own whatever. Um, so it wasn't very clear whether or not it had, was like a forced thing or like, uh, we've all been in those situations where, where we feel like pressured or like coerced. So I kind of got that kind of impression from it that sometimes she wasn't always enthusiastically um into what was ever happening so that would be my personal content warning yeah i'd say just the standard she was a mistress she's been taken advantage of by men i didn't feel like any of it was badly handled here be aware that that's a plot point the only other thing i'd point out is i did think there was some casual fetidization of non-white cultures both when he talks about going and learning everything in china and having a moroccan mistress yeah the moroccan mistress is true those two things to me were shorthand for things you don't learn in England. And I just kind of wish that had been less one. You can cut out the reference of the mistress entirely, but to, you know, actually talk about his time in China and the Chinese culture, rather than just having it be like these Chinese pirates took me in and (laughs) I was the foreigner over there. Like if you're going to do that, you've got to give it more depth. Yeah. Yeah, and but like uh, to your point, there was a bunch of it that it didn't add to the story. So it's 
like it didn't need to even be said. It could have been lightly mentioned, mm -hmm. you know, that he traveled or whatever. I traveled all over the world. And yeah, and then they could have left it. Exactly. They right. left like it the like only reason they had to be super specific about China is because he's obsessed with that one tea. Oh God. <laughs> it's, it's very throwback to um, Amanda Quick scandal. Yes. But yeah. Oh, I read that. I'm like, he named his horse Lapsang Suchang. Oh, <laughs> just saying. Um, well, even the way they talk about talk about fetish. Well, we talked about Delacourt's job and like yes, the in the first book in our first review of it. But I do think it went a little bit further here, talking about acupuncture, talking about him selling animal body parts, talking about like. It, none of it rose to a level of like particularly noteworthy. And I guarantee you when I talk about how much I liked this book, I'm going to forget that that happened, which might be a mark against me. But I do think she's used the Far East and the Mid East and now Morocco as offhand to connote something without much thought. It's, it's interesting though, right? So, so yes, that is the case. However... I feel like in real life, people do that so much. Um, that's like a very real thing um, yeah. where people are like, they exotify, you know, other cultures and the things they do there. And it's extremely problematic and you know, and I do, but they don't know it, you know? And so I feel like it's kind of a little bit representative of what people actually do. Yeah. Um, and, At the same, and, yeah, yeah. I, I, I actually was gonna be like, well, it feels true to the time, and I'm like, well, I mean, like, yes, but also, I don't want to like defend someone by saying that, you know. I think Shani, the point you're making is a valid one. Like, absolutely, I, I, I'm glad he wasn't anachronistically woke, but I do kind of wish Julianne Long, within the narration, had more clearly criticized the character's point of view subtly yeah. somehow. Yeah, I think that's the fun of uh, having like historical books written now is that the authors can put a new spin on things. It's like, I don't know if you watched like the, the Anne of Green Gables, um, like reboot that's on Netflix. Um, but there's like one scene where Josie's getting married and in the book, she actually gets married. Um, but in the new adaptation, she leaves that fool at the altar and there's the most beautiful runaway scene in the snow that I've ever seen cinematically. It's gorgeous. Love it. um, and I And I like when people take a little bit of a license to update uh things so i 100 percent agree with you in the fact that i'm like have somebody else another character be questioning that thing uh, and also that exists I, I deal with that on a regular basis where people will say things to me and i'm like that's highly problematic and also like <laughs> i make this joke to my friend like let's normalize um that it's not my job to address every problematic person who comes into my sphere because i'm tired I, I'm exhausted. <laughs> but yes, I do. Like, I definitely agree. And I just think it's like one of those two truths, right? One truth is that, like, she could have given that a bit more of a nuance, a situation. And yes, that really exists in real life. People who are just fetishized things like that. And especially, yeah, like you said, in the time, it's definitely historically accurate. <laughs> Unlike the deed being in both of their names, you know. <laughs> All right. Uh, How sexy was this book? Could have been sexier. Could have been, been sexier. sexier. <laughs> I 
really bought how into each other the two of them were and like the desperation of their scenes I think was really well conveyed and I think Shawnee got at this earlier when she was talking about Julianne Long's way with words especially dialogue and some scenery building like I think that was absolutely also true within the sex scenes that said this is not a two nipple cover yeah this is, a, this is sex there was like sex montage but there was yeah. not like sex like scene just the one the first one yes but then they were like then they just had sex all night long and i was like okay i mean like that's and great i'm not gonna say no but because i'm a broken record no sex after conflict resolution yeah i i yeah. totally agree that like in in real life and i don't know if i'm just a freak because i am a freak but in real life, when I have a conflict with my partner, kind of one of the first things I want to do after making up is have sex because that feels like uh, uh, comforting and connective again, you know? So for the characters, I want that same thing for them. I want them to like have a conflict and then bang it out, you know? So, so I 100% agree with you. I don't generally like sex montages. I want to know what goes where, when, and how many licks it took to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop. And like, so I could have done with a little bit more sex, but I did think that she writes really well. Like I could build the picture of the sex scenes that she was describing and she has a good way with words, man. I'm just like, ooh, I don't think I've read any of her books before. So I'm gonna pick up another one. <laughs> no, I think she does. I. I think she's a, I think she's a good writer. I think she's one of the, one of the better ones out there. And I mean, look, I love all different kinds of romance. Some is better written than others. I think she's on the better written side of things. Thank you guys so much for listening. And thank you so much for joining us, Shani. We had so much fun. Thank you. This is awesome. You guys are lovely. Be sure to check out Shani at Romance at a Glance. And is that your name on Instagram and socials as well? Yeah, so we're at Romance at a Glance everywhere. I think Twitter were like Romance at Glance because they didn't have enough characters, but whatever. Um, and then personally, I am at MarvelousXE underscore on Instagram.